everyone, welcome to Podcast Legends, and uh, this is a show where we, uh, we basically go way, way back and dig into the early beginnings of podcasting and talk to luminaries, podcasters, people that were here at the very beginning of, of podcasting, and today I have uh, Mr. Tim Borkin with us. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Hey, good morning, Todd. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm not sure... I even remotely qualify as a podcast legend, but I'm happy to be on the show. Well, you know, everyone's a legend in their own mind, so uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, you and I were talking just a little bit before we started the recording, and uh, you know, they we're both kind of racking our heads a little bit. Are we going to be able to remember all the stuff that actually happened in the beginning? But I think before we get into you know that full kind of that story, why don't uh, you take a moment and just introduce yourself to the audience and Let's get some perspective of who you are and what role you played in in the beginning in podcasting. Sure, thanks. So uh, my brother and I did a podcast called The Podcast Brothers, uh, where we talked about kind of the the state of the industry and what was going on. And uh, I was the founder of a show uh, called Podcast Expo back in 2005. And it was probably because of uh, an earlier podcast I did about endurance sports that led me to even do the show. I had been in the podcast, or I had been in the trade show industry uh, for a while, since about '98. And um, when I saw this new term coming up, and we had a show ourselves, I thought, you know, we've got attendees who are looking for answers. There were a lot of people asking questions about how to podcast, and there were advertisers that were wanting to reach out to those people and equipment and and all those things. So. I thought this is going to be a great idea for a conference, an event, and that's kind of how it started. But it was all from, you know, we can talk about even before that about how I even learned of the term podcasting. But you know, my most people know me who do know me in the space, and there aren't many people left anymore that do. But those that do know me probably best as the the co-founder of the Podcast Expo. I had forgot that you did that endurance. It was you called it a radio show at the time, right? Or was it on radio, or was it always purely a podcast? No, it was always online. So the way that worked is I had been into mountain biking in 2003 and 2004. And so what I did was I went out and started interviewing uh, uh, mountain bikers out on the trail with just a handheld recorder. And we'd done maybe 14 or 15 shows, and it was just posted online as an MP3. And what had uh, happened is people started emailing me who were triathletes and um, people that were doing long, you know, distance running and cycling, and they said, you know, we love this show, but God, that'd be a great. It'd be great if we could find a way to actually take this with us, so that I can listen to these shows while we do these long runs, <laughs> these long bike rides. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting idea. Take it with you. How the heck are we going to do that? And I started doing Google searches, and uh, this term podcast came up, and I thought podcast. Okay, that's interesting. You must have to have iTunes for this. You must have to have uh, you know, an iPod to do this. Um, and I don't even remember if uh, it was just like the first iPod that had come out to do this. And so right. that's how I found out about BloggerCon, which is where the term had first started uh, being talked about. People that were bloggers were starting to figure out how to, to put audio into their RSS feeds. And so I followed an example. Someone had put up a very rudimentary way to add an RSS feed to your audio file or get your audio files into the RSS feed. And so that's how I started this. That's how I realized, okay, this podcast is a way for people to take the audio with them. And it all started from there. So do you remember 
the time frame then on when you did that transition and made Endurance Radio available via yeah, this podcast? Yeah, it was podcast? early 2005. So I want to say February, March, right. maybe even early into that summer. And um, I, I didn't know anything about it. And the way I had learned about uh, online trading, which is my first trade show that I had just sold uh, maybe a year earlier, was I started a, 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 like a meetup group about it. And so I posted, hey, are there, is there anybody out there that knows about this podcasting stuff <laughs> that wants to meet up for breakfast? And um, like four hours later, Michael Gohagen called me out of the blue. Wow. And that's how I met Michael, who was doing a podcast back then called Real Reviews. Yeah. And he had been to that blogger con where Dave Weiner would, was talking and Adam Curry were talking about um, podcasting and, and what it was and how they were using it. So, you know, I talked to Michael for probably two hours that first time he called and then started listening to his podcast. Um, and, you know, he, he was kind of, I, I bounced ideas off him about starting the expo and, and what it would take and why people would come. You know, Michael's definitely on the list. We're going to talk to him because, matter of fact, he's still got a lot of podcast-related domains I'd like to uh, get from him <laughs> if he'll ever, if I'll ever sell him at a price that I can afford. But, yeah. so... That's cool. So that was your genesis, at least into starting podcasts so with his endurance mm -hmm. radio. Then, then obviously, very shortly thereafter, bada boom, bada bing, you're doing the 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 show with your brother. Then, right? Yeah. So uh, right before I started working on the expo, I thought, you know, I'm going to let go of endurance radio um, and sold it to a guy who was involved in somehow involved in the association of the sport of triathlon. And I sold it to him for like $17,000. And I thought, Great. wow, okay. yeah, all right, hey, I've monetized, you know, and I'm a, that's, you know, we could talk about this. This is kind of more of a current event thing too. But back then, I think people were vastly underestimating what they could get for advertising and what they could get, actually the value of the content they were creating. Right. So, when, you know, I said, uh, let's, let's monetize the show one last time and then start the podcast expo. So I sold it to that guy for $17,000 and then immediately started planning the dates for the first show in Ontario. Um, and, you know, everybody asks, like, Ontario, California, like, why in the world Ontario, California, which is in Southern California in the kind of L.A. metro area? And it had a close airport. It was cheap to fly into. The Ontario Convention Center was cheap, and everything was right there. So I knew it was a way to keep everybody. You know, it wasn't like Las Vegas where we we're going to lose everybody at night going off and doing their own thing. There was nowhere to go, man. Right. So everybody was going to be forced to be in the hotel bar. <laughs> and, you know, it, the, people need to understand that that – decision that you made was by far the best decision you ever made in order to have that show. Yeah. Well, it was kind of by accident though, too. Yeah. I, had done, I had started trade shows there. It was a great place to kind of get test an event, right? Because it's relatively inexpensive to do and inexpensive for attendees to get to. But it turned out so great because the, the attendees you know, it, it was so cool to walk down the hallway and in the hotel, down the hallway, in, in the bar, at the sports bar. And many people know that, remember the sports bar at the hotel at Ontario, they ran out of beer the first night yep. because they had no idea that we were coming uh, in such volume. But to just to watch people look down at somebody's name tag, and at that point, there was what, maybe 200 podcasts, if that, right? Right. So there were, you know, mostly the audience for podcasts were other podcasters at that point. Mm -hmm. And so you walk down the hallway and you look down at somebody's badge and you go, oh, I've been listening to your show for three months. I, I love your show. And just to see that happen, it was, it was kind of magical because, it, you know, in a, in, a, in a big industry these days, you don't see that. And so it was this really small group 
there's only about 1,500 attendees, but it just seemed like there was just, it was just a really close-knit group that everybody knew each other, so it was really cool. And so the first, was it 2005 was the first show, like August, was that? September 28th, actually. And you guys turned that thing on fast. You know, and, and, and I, 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 if I go back and think about it, um, so I did the call out on my podcast in July of 05, looking for partners to start what is now Raw Voice. And that came together, I mean, quick. So we were there. As a matter of fact, that was the first time my team members, we had actually met each other. We did everything over the phone. We started the business on the phone. Right. And we we weren't an exhibitor. We walked in kind of doing stuff that you're not supposed to do at trade shows. We brought in T-shirts, <laughs> and we, we really had no clue. So yeah. we were interlopers and, you know, you know, and handing out stuff and, you know, pens and, but. Yeah, uh, that was part of the fun part of it, too. We could talk about <laughs> the whole Adam Curry mix up. I don't know if you know, they had their unexpo down the street, right. if you remember that. Right, right. And uh, so, you know, it was, it was. It was fun. There were a lot of people there that had no idea what to expect that this had been their first trade show. Um, you know, I remember like the guys like CC Chapman and and uh, and uh, Chris Rogan and you know people like that. Were, there were a lot of people there that um, that were there that are now. We're, Gary Vaynerchuk it was a keynote. We didn't even pay him. It was free, and the guy makes like a hundred grand a keynote now. Right. Um, he wasn't at the first one. I think he was maybe the second or third. But, but you, yeah. But you know, I think the. You know, people still talk about the parties in the hotel. You know, yeah. our parties got to the point where we had to buy the rooms like two or three to the right and left of us and <laughs> ones below us so that we just wouldn't have the cops called on us. And I mean, yeah. there was some, those parties were legend. You know, Libsyn was having their parties. We were, of course, yeah. the pod show folks were having theirs. And then, you know, the whole, yeah, like you said, the un, the, it, but it was a wild dynamic. Yeah, and, and there, that first show too. I think CC Chapman organized it. There was some kind of barbecue, like people brought back barbecue to the pool, and that right. turned into something. Right. So it, it was just this really cool thing where people kind of just did their own things, but they were really, you know, the the hotel was the Marriott was right across the street from the convention center. People walked back and forth all day. Um, I think it was just it it felt like something was happening, right? Yeah. Even though yeah. that was. 11 years ago, it felt like, okay, this is going to be something. And we're, we're, there was a sense that you were at the very early stages of it. Yeah. And the, the, uh, hotel, God bless them. They, they put up with a lot because man, we were, <laughs> we were nuts, you know? Well, and, and it was the first time when, it, you know, people were trying to get on Wi-Fi and like, we just blew out their routers because, <laughs> you know, there were so many people on it. And I tried to tell the hotel, cause I had done trade shows in the past. I'm like, look, we were pretty much, first of all, they were shocked when we sold out the hotel. And this was like two months before the event. And so they're like, wow, we, this podcasting stuff, who are these podcasters? I'm like, well, I'm not sure either. We're going to find out when, when everybody shows up. And I'm like, you know, I, I've done another event where it's kind of at the beginning of an industry. And I'm telling you, you got you to gotta be ready. I was trying to warn the hotel. And even by the second year, they were like, okay, we've gotten more kegs of beer. We've got, you know, we've got extra bartenders online now. We know what's coming. <laughs> So, I mean, we completely blew out. Every, I think we seriously, I, I know they ran out of beer, at least keg beer, and they ran out of a lot of a bottle beer. So they were completely ecstatic and they had no idea what podcasters were, what they were doing. Like, right. who are you guys? Yeah, we were like these foreign aliens coming in. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, we rented uh, one of the suites they had and I, I bought uh, like $3,000 worth of liquor and we brought it all into the room and... Uh, the room, if the fire marshal had shown up, I, the only thing I told everyone that came in the room, 
drink, do whatever you want, no smoking weed. And when, <laughs> when someone smokes weed, we're shutting the party down because I was still in the military then. So I couldn't be associated, you know, it was dangerous for me to be around anyone smoking weed because I would you know, lose my job. But it was yeah. like, uh, do whatever you want. And believe me, they did everything. We, they drank $3,000 worth of liquor in, that, in, in those two nights. And uh, there was like, <sighs> why don't we, was it your party or someone on the Libsyn? There was body painting going on. I oh, mean, yeah. I, there we, was all kinds of stuff. Naked body painting. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have some story. I think there was probably some babies made in the room. Well, you just, who knows? It was uh, it was crazy. But, you know, the parties were great. But in, And I've always said that the very beginning podcast Expo thing, uh, it was really when we went year two, family reunion. It wasn't, a, it was more than a show. It was a family reunion where we all got to see each other and hang out and, you know, drink and have fun. And But the the event itself, you had huge success with. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, it was kind of weird because people, when I talk to them about it today, and I don't I haven't talked about this in a long time, really, I don't get a chance to do it a lot anymore. But people said, you know, the move to Las Vegas in year three was was a mistake because you know, it was getting too big, but, and I was, you know, I have to mention, look, I come at this from an entrepreneur standpoint, right? Yep. I was, I had a trade show company. I was mm-hmm. there to make a profit. Yep. Um, and at the same time, it was almost impossible to keep that feeling of that small kind of family knew everybody at the show. I knew that was inevitably going to go away, but people missed it. And I understand that, you know, Ontario kept everybody there and it was a great place. And yeah, we probably could have kept it there. Uh, but at the same time, I had advertisers that are like, eh, you know, our exhibitors like, I, I don't want to go to Ontario. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, um, you know, go to Vegas and, you know, we do, we do shows there all the time. And so we did that. Um, and, and, and we did lose, it did lose some of that feeling that people had, but I think that's, you know, inevitable in anything, in any industry that grows. Right. Yeah. But I, I you know, we made up for it, uh, you know, we planned separate offline events and, uh, you know, we yeah. had, uh, 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 showgirls and Elvis impersonators and uh, you, you know whatever we could do to bring the community to, to evening events yeah. but uh, still the you know anything in a trade show I've always said the sessions are fantastic but it's the networking that uh, is yeah, really what pays the bills and but and back then too I don't know if you remember I don't know if it was by the second year uh, you know Apple had kind of shunned podcasting mm-hmm. they didn't want to add it to iTunes they didn't you know, want any part of kind of created stuff that wasn't curated by them themselves. And we knew the two guys, you probably knew the two guys that ran the podcasting directory at first and you could email them and go, Hey man, can you add me to this category? And they would, I mean, yep. <laughs> you think about that happening today, it doesn't happen. But back then you had an email address of the guys at Apple that were running the podcasting. Um, and directory. actually they kind of uh, swung back and forth. Um, you know, like we have obviously direct contact over there if we need to, and it, they don't necessarily keep their email addresses secret, but I don't think they yeah. necessarily put them out there for the public to know as well. But, um, you know, Apple, you know, if you think about where we were at in July of 05 was actually the time that the, up up until, well, they, they recognized early on what was going to happen, but they added the podcast stuff to iTunes in July of 05. So that was obviously big news for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, my book that had come out that I had went to press in in March of '05 didn't even have the iTunes piece in because it wasn't even in existence when I wrote the book. So uh, a lot happened in those first 12, 14 months. I mean, it was a whirlwind time in, in the space. And 
Um, and we, we were still talking about the term podcasting. Right. I think I had, I we did the show. Well, they're still talking times. about it, Tim. They're still, I know. <laughs> they're talking about a lot of the same thing. It's funny. Emil and I talk about this, you know, on Podcast Brothers, which was the kind of the official podcast of the Podcast Expo show. We would talk every week and we'd be talking about how do you make money with this and what are we calling this? And and you're right. I still hear people talking about this. Like 11 years later, there's still some of the same issues that people are going. But I had we did the show four times. We had four different names of the show. I mean, if I, of course, looking back, I'm like, I just should have called it Podcast Expo and been done with it. But we didn't know if it was going to stick, if there was going to be another term that would come out. Uh, so, you know, looking back, it would have been great just to call it Podcast Expo and be done. But portable media, new media, um, these were all terms that we're throwing around that we didn't know that were going to stick or not. Yeah, and I couldn't believe I was able to buy newmediashow.com like two and a half years ago. That was blew me away that that was still available. But uh, mm -hmm. matter of fact, that's what you know. Rob Greenland and I do a show on our, every week on that. But yeah. you know, going back to the early days, I want to talk just a little bit about the challenges maybe that you had in getting vendors in because they the vendors have had, I think even to this day, have a little bit of a tough time who you know, figuring. I think they know who we are now, but do you think they've effectively marketed to us? Uh, I think it's difficult because podcasting is one thing, audio, right, RSS feeds, all that stuff. But the needs of a lot of podcasters are so different because it's in every different vertical. Um, so I think, I think they have a hard time figuring out how to market to uh, both individuals who are podcasting out of their homes, right? Mm -hmm. And then the corporate side of things, which is, you know, they're figuring out how to do their corporate thing. Um, and people have to market to both. Podcast Expo was always mostly the end user, and the it, end single, you know, podcaster person yep. who had their own show. We did have people like Intuit and QuickBooks and things like that that were attendees that also wanted to do it on the corporate side. But I, I think people are still trying to figure out, you know, how do we make money off individual podcasters in a way that is scalable. Mm -hmm. um, I think they still have a hard time, you know, figuring that out. Sure, they're the equipment people, and you can sell microphones, and you can sell hosting, and that sort of thing. And you're kind of in a unique position to know this, right? How do you reach out to new podcasts and tell them that Raw Voice is there and yep. um, that you're the best way to do it versus, you know, somebody else? So, yeah. um, I think they're still trying to figure that out. Eleven years later. So, when you went to, to talking, when the vendors were coming in, and um, you know, what was their general response to you post show? Because you know, obviously, you, you reach out to the vendors and talk to them, and how was your show? And um, yeah. what was their in those early days? What was their mindset? You, I think that a lot of them were blown away. They had they they came in expecting very little. <laughs> I think they're in a, in, a, in a good way. Their expectations were extremely low because they just weren't sure what was going to happen. And then they realized that look, these are very passionate people that that are that are a market force that will buy things from us and that are um, somebody we can work with long term. Um, so, you know, for for the big guys, I think that you know a show of fifteen hundred people, maybe that's not interesting to them. But um, for a lot of people that you know kind of got their start, like the Libsons of the world, I think um, uh, they were impressed by it, and they were impressed by the just the passion that people had and the willingness. And yeah, they. You know, there's, there was this idea of the poor podcaster, right, that, that had, you know, <laughs> we're doing this on a complete shoestring. And sure, those people were there too, but there were a lot of people there that were willing to spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks on a mic and, and hosting and, and promotion and all that stuff. So 
Um, I, I think they came in with not knowing what the heck that was going to happen, and they were impressed with what they saw. One thing I think that I've seen that's changed over the years is in the early days, I was always pounding my head against the pavement because you know people would complain about spending ten bucks uh, yeah. and then doing something. But I think today I don't hear that. Only once in a blue moon, someone concerned about the price of something. People understand they have to spend money to to make money or to build audience, but yeah. Um, and I think that was a topic that we talked about a lot in the in the early days about you know prices and where where it should be. It's still I think still the cheapest medium that you could you know in considering where you can where you can go from zero to really an unlimited audience for still typically today a pretty shoestring budget is right and that hasn't changed. Well, I think people still think you know this idea now it's all the hot thing is content marketing. And, and obviously podcasting is part of that. And there's this idea that I'm just going to create great content and the viewers will come, the listeners will come, the, the eyeballs will come to my site. And you can do that if this is a hobby and you don't want to spend any money, you just enjoy interviewing people or you just enjoy creating that content, great. But if you're going to treat this like a business, a business requires investment. Mm-hmm. And the, the old days where you could be on new and notable in the iTunes, you know, in the podcasting directory, are those those are you know those are few and far between and so if you're going to treat this as a business you got to treat it as a business that means investing money in your business and and looking for a return on that so um, I th- yeah yeah there are always people that want to do it on a shoestring and that's fine but you know if you're in this for for a profit then you need to treat it as such see you know the early days you you hit on something that there was just you know we were all nuts passionate and I, you know I'm looking at where we're at here twelve years later. You know, and I'm doing this, you know, I'm in the grind every day. I still live and breathe this stuff. It's it's pretty incredible. But do you think from an, you know, you kind of have an outsider's view now. Um, do you think that the passion is still as high as it was then? Do you see folks as excited or or do you think we've hit a battle rhythm at this point? No, I, I still do. I still, I, I listen to new podcasts all the time just to check out what's going on. Um, I think it's there, but I think if there's, it's just like, you know, in the internet early days, you could get listed in Yahoo in a couple of days and start getting visitors. And it was small, but it's a lot bigger now. Right. There's a lot of noise. It's hard to get noticed. Um, I think, you know, you get people out there that start a podcast because they think it's just something they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't have, aren't, aren't as passionate about it. Because when that, you know, that first expo, the only people who were there and traveled to Ontario, California is because they love doing it and they wanted to meet other people doing it, right? There wasn't this idea that, hey, you know, we've got this whole content marketing plan and one of those things is starting a podcast. Who's going to do it? Well, I don't know. Who's got a microphone? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that that part is different these days because the industry has matured. Um, I think it was just easier to see the passion back then because it was just such a small industry. If you think about it, you know, if, you know, I just look at my timeline. I started in October of 04. And things were, I mean, it went from starting a show to a book deal to a business in right. a few months. And and in a brand new industry, maybe that's the normal way of things. But I look back upon it now and said, were we absolutely insane? Um, yeah. And it's, a, you know, you look at what you guys did. You, you know, you, you had your endurance radio. Uh, you sold that. You were doing the podcast brothers. Uh, and then boom, you're, you know, you're, you bring a trade show online and we all show up and yeah, 
it, it's it happens very quickly in new industries, and I've been through this twice now. Once before this, and then with podcasting, it's a wave. It's the best way to describe it. You catch a wave uh, early on, and you ride the wave because there's a lot of momentum that comes in behind you. Um, so a lot of things happen much easier and happens much more quickly. Now starting a podcast these days, um, it's a, it's a lot tougher to get that momentum behind you and to get those listeners if you don't have a built-in audience. You yeah. have to spend money to do it or you have to get lucky and be featured somehow, you know? Yep. Um, so yeah, it's a lot. There were guys getting consulting gigs left and right because companies didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And if you were an individual podcaster and you knew what you were doing, you, what you knew, your knowledge had value. And so there were guys getting con- consulting deals like crazy just because they knew what they were doing and how to set up an RSS feed to conclude the audio. Yeah. You know, in the, if you uh, and I'm sure this audience will get tired of hearing this because probably will re- I'll repeat from my side a number of times going from zero to forty five thousand listeners in like sixty to ninety days and the big you know the bigger challenge we had or at least I had for doing my show was how the heck do I keep this thing online I had like twelve shared hosting there was no Libsyn yet it right. was you know you just had to figure out how to get the media delivered and that was one of the bigger challenges in the early days but. You're right, going from nothing to this, you know, what to even today, the, a big show of uh, 45,000 listeners would be huge. And yeah. so it was, uh, it was to me, I, from my vantage point and sitting back and look at this, I'm like, we're lucky we survived just being able to keep the shows online in the early days. Yeah. Um, but wow, what a, and the, I'm going to well, say, I'm going to walk off these shows excited and ready to go back to work Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know, but you know, the, I think about today too. Uh, I still think it's too hard to get and fi- find and get podcasts. It's still today, uh, 2016. I have an app on my phone called Overcast. Yep. I think it is that is about as simple as you get, and yet it's still tough mm-hmm. to 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 get podcasts. It's not as easy. You know, I'd hoped by this time, a long time ago, it would be as easy as tuning in into an FM radio station. It's not there yet. We're close. We're close. And I think for most people who have iTunes, it's still, it's still, uh, it's a, it's an okay experience. I don't think it's a fantastic experience yet. You know, it, uh, it took us until April of last year to be actually start to get the ability to do one click subscribe on shows in Android. You know, you couldn't even do that up until last year. So Right. That uh, that's a big point, but do you think then that the discovery is the challenge? You know, because you're saying you're having a hard time finding. You know how to yeah. get to shows, but are you trying? Are you referring to? I know it is for me. It is for me. I mean, I I when I'm looking for new shows, I'm a huge This American Life fan, mm-hmm. and so I love that storytelling aspect that you know guys like Lance Anderson did early on. Yep, he kind of blazed the trail for that. But um, those kinds of Podcasts are tougher to find. Now they have like Gimlet Media, the big corporate guys who are doing more things like that. So I follow them and anything they do. Yeah. But yeah, I think discovery is still tough. Um, it, it, there's, there's, you know, how, how do you fix that problem in terms of just being other than just searching and, and hearing from other people? I guess it's word of mouth too. Right. You know, the, you know, look at what happened with Serial and, and their launch. And, you know, I was, it's obviously, it, it pushed us uh, 18 months worth of media spin and, um, that's kind of slowed down a little bit now, but I think, I, I hope that people that are looking at this space will take the serial model or what Gimlet's doing and understand that the story is where the podcasting space makes its highest amount of value. Yeah. Yes. And 
you can turn anything into a story. I really believe that. It's not just about telling, a, you know, a, it's the 60 minutes. It's the, it's the 20 minute news, you know, information told as a story. So no matter who you are, no matter what your podcast is about, you've got to figure out how to kind of do it in a storytelling way because that is what gets, gets people hooked on something. They're not hooked on the information per se. They're hooked on the storytelling part of it. And I think that's why the gimlets of the world are going to have so much success and the serials, you know, told as a story kind of thing is what really works. Right. And if, if we can get podcasters to really realize that, I think then we'll grow a lot more bigger shows. We'll grow more serials. So, so Tim, so that's the question then. Um, there's not a school to send someone to, at least I don't think there is, to be able to become a storyteller. Do you think yeah. that storytellers are born or can you be made or is it just you got to get behind the mic and practice? Yeah. Or? There is actually a school, I think, right? NPR does one. It's, um, I forget the name of it now, but they do kind of a storytelling. They get together and they talk about how to tell a story hmm. in terms of that. And I, gosh, I need to look up the name of it. Um, somebody knows this as they're listening to it and then they know the name and it's escaping me. Uh, but, you know, I, I think... Uh, Alex Bloomberg does a thing on, uh, I see the Facebook, Facebook ads for it all the time too, an online course about kind of doing storytelling and how that works. Um, so there, it is out there, do a search for it. You can find it. Um, I, I wonder, you know, if the, like the current events, like podcast movement and the other ones are, are, are probably looking to do that too, which is something else we can talk about too. Like why all of a sudden is Podcast movement is taking off, and I'm stoked about that. If you know, I don't know that I would have lasted. I don't have the patience to last if I had done the podcast expo for another seven years to get it to this point. You know, would we be bigger at this point uh, as podcast movement? I don't know. Um, why do you think they're having success now? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, a lot of us talked to them, and the first year, like any show, was getting off the ground, and we and we went and we observed and. Gary Leland was there. So, of course, Gary was at the very beginning with Podcast Pickle. And yeah, Gary's um, there. he'll be on this show here in the future. Um, so Gary had this understanding of what you guys did in Ontario. So we kept hammering the team over there. You know, if you can recreate as best you can the atmosphere of what was done in the early days where we're all close together, where we can have a, there's not a lot of distractions in the evening where we can go as a group and do things. This is where I really think this podcasting is, um, unlike radio, um, while we compete with each other, we're all good friends and, um, we listen to each other. So that still exists in the space. So I think that essence is a lot of what, um, the team over there has tried to recreate. Now, you know, they've got their own spin on it um, and they're learning as they go. But I really think um, being able to kind of try to recreate some of the stuff that was done in the early days is, is part. now the challenge I have with that is, you know, we, they had 1500 people, I think 1500 podcasters at the event or, you know, there were some media buyers and of course industry people too. So whatever that ratio was, um, we almost, to a name, knew each other in those early days. Yeah, there was very few people that if you didn't know their name, you knew you got to know their name, and we're right. all still friends today. So um, the biggest challenge I have at the new event is, you know, who are you, what's your show, and, and, and you may not know 
what their show is about and have to ask them. And um, so I think there is a little bit of grouping going on, as you would expect, because, you know, you can't have 1,500 people there to be all kumbaya at once. But it, maybe there's 50, 60, 100, you know, these little segment of groups of people that know each other. I think that's maybe what's happening. But, um, you know, we were really, you know, Rob Greenlee and I, and and we all talked to, you know, Dan and the team over there. Just remember, community, 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 and let's, you know, all be together. And I think they've taken that formula. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I think what you started and got ingrained in all of our brains in those early days um, is starting to rematerialize itself in just a little bit different way. Yeah, and I, and I, I'd love to see, you know, I, and I see people getting past the, okay, we're done talking about, are we going to call this podcasting? <laughs> we're done talking about all the basic stuff, right? It is podcasting. Um, I'd love to f- figure out how they help people make money with their shows so that they can continue to do it and run it and and because at some point something can be a, a passion project for a, for a long time but yeah. i think you have to be rewarded yep. for your time monetarily yep. too maybe that's the entrepreneur you know capitalist bastard in me that says you know i want to make money on everything oh, not necessarily everybody has to do that but i think it's important people you know you you take time to create your content you should be rewarded that in one way or another i was punished by my audience for becoming a capitalist pig so oh yeah oh in the early <laughs> early days people got upset Oh like, man, you, you, I have to listen to an ad, you know, right. or I, you, you want to make money off this. I thought this, you, I thought you were doing for me this for me personally. Right. I always thought that was weird, you know. It just didn't ever make like okay. I, I lost I, audience when I announced I had signed a deal for a book. You know, I that was that. You know, people, what do you mean you took money for a book? I mean, right. seriously, it was. Yeah. There was this idea that you know, if you're you're not pure, if you're not doing it just for the passion, of right, it. right. And I never thought that was the case. Um, and and people got ups, you know, got hammered about that. Yeah. Poor people. I'm like, don't you know, don't let those people get you down. It's a very vocal minority. <laughs> Create good content, bring advertisers in, and people will stick. For so sure. so you know, I what has happened, and just you know, I don't know if you've been following, but. You know, in the early days, uh, our business was ninety uh, uh, percent putting advertising dollars into everyday podcasters' pockets. That was, uh, you know, what, what drove the company's growth for, you know, the first five or six years. And then what happened? Uh, just from a historical standpoint, big shows started to show up on the scene. You know, we went from shows that were topping out at uh, forty, fifty thousand, and then we started getting into shows that were. You know, going in 100, 150, 200, 250,000 listeners per episode and, you know, the right. Mark Marins, the world and those types of folks. So the uh, media buyers got scope locked on the big names and they were yeah. driving the majority of the dollars back into, well, they shifted it. They shifted from uh, doing these big wide buys, which we were specialized in, into going into looking at the real um, big shows. And so for right. two or three years, man, there's, there was some dry drought period for small shows. Yeah. And well, and I think, too, it was also because people had this idea that podcast monetization should be done like website page monetization. And that is a CPM model. I pay you 60 cents right. per 1,000 listens. And I was always like, no, no, no. That is not how this is going to work. And the stupid example, and, and it, it, it's an extreme and ridiculous example, my always thing to advertisers was, look, you've got a podcast with three listeners. 
and I want to charge you $10,000 for three downloads. Ah, and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> the three listeners are Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett. Right. But it's a stupid example, but that's what I mean. It's like your, your, your audience is more valuable than a, uh, an impression or a download. If you've got the right audience to somebody, the 1,000 listeners that are the right 1,000 listeners are worth a heck of a lot more than $3 per thousand or whatever it may be. You're much more closer to this than I am in terms of that. But And it's still largely CPM base. You know, we're still doing deals at $20 and $25 CPM just like we were in the beginning. But, you know, they're... And, and to your point, though, if the audience is right, and for example, I did a deal a couple years ago with a neurosurgeon, and uh, he only had about 900 to 1,000 listeners per episode, but they were all neurosurgeons. That Perfect. guy, yeah. that guy, that was the twenty, twenty-five, thirty, forty thousand dollars per episode sponsorship money. That right. That those they didn't even blink. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, are the, you having a hard time telling you know getting advertisers to understand that, or are they still like, nope, I want to pay yeah you know, six dollars per yeah, thousand. Yeah, uh, typically, well, six dollars is now. Uh, some people are selling that as programmatic. Basically, it's an automated buy. I don't do that business, um, but. Uh, typically 20 to 25. Some people are getting higher, obviously, but I find that on direct response, uh, that's been kind of where the sweet spot's been for a long, long time. So yeah, it's still CPM. But there are shows that if they, you know, have an audience that is, like you said, um, you know, valuable in a, from a, from a audience standpoint, they, they, they're doing flat deals. People are doing flat deals out there where they're getting X number of dollars, but it's for the big media buyers. It's a much harder sell. Yeah, and so I, and we are dealing, I guess, with the same kind of problems yeah. as we were dealing in two thousand and five. Some of it has not changed. Yeah, it hasn't. And maybe that's um, maybe that's my fault. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I don't know if it's your fault. <laughs> it's not Todd Cocker's specifically is responsible for all of our issues we're adding in podcast. Um, I I think people you know need to realize that people were paying. To sell the podcast too, your podcast can be sellable. I sold, mm -hmm. you sold the last podcast Emil and I did uh, was called Trader Interviews. Was about online trading and E Trade, Ameritrade. Those guys were sponsors and e you know sponsored our email list and things like that. Um, we sold that just a couple of years ago, and so that's like you know if you get tired of doing your show, there is a buyer for you. Just don't let it fall on the floor. Right. There's a way to monetize it one last time. Um, and I think you've you've uh, been one of the few people that have done that successfully. So you've got some insight there that a lot of people probably aren't even aware of that or maybe haven't even thought about doing that. Yeah. I, I think it's just because people don't realize like, hey, I do this, you know, in my spare bedroom. Oh, who's going to buy this? But there's value in everything you create. Your library of old episodes has value. Your audience that is that follows you has value. Um, and so I think people just have to, to don't undervalue, don't, don't depreciate what you've done, the hard work you've put into building that audience, it is worth something to someone. I don't know that you're going to get rich doing it, but you're going to, there's, there is a, it's worth probably a lot more than you think it's worth. There's a, I've, I've tried to buy a couple of shows before and, um, because you know, the podcasters were quitting and I'm like, listen, you know, uh, let me buy that show and let me, and you know, and what happens oftentimes is the pride gets in the way and like, Oh, it's my baby. I don't want to sell it. But I'm like, you're quitting. <laughs> you right. know, here's the check, you know, here's what I'm offering or well, how much do you want? And, and they never come back with a counter offer. And, you know, I, 
there's been a couple of great, I mean, really great tech properties that um, had, well, let's put it this way. The, 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 the host was making uh, six figures in the early days of podcasting and uh, got burned out, uh, quit, and a six-figure audience went away. And um, I was like, let me buy that property from you. And he went and sell. So um, that uh, that to me was the tragedy. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it goes back to, again to the whole idea that you know you got to be pure. You got to be you show us to be pure and untouched. And I think you're okay. You're okay if you want to make money doing this for sure. Yeah. So let's um, you know when you in the early days on uh, in talking about the audience and their participation, what you know what was the feedback mechanism then were you using email or were you using voicemail how were you taking your your audience feedback how was how was yeah, the interaction so i think everybody the big the big thing back then was certainly you could email but the big thing was setting up a, a voice uh, uh just a voice message on it wasn't a google number by that uh, yet yeah, at that point right. but it was like a, a k7 number where people could leave feedback and you play that feedback on your show like that was the hot thing right there was a new introduction Everybody, somebody knew another podcaster introduced the podcast brothers for every episode. So, you know, we would say, Hey, we need somebody to introduce us. If you want to introduce us, record it and we'll, we'll play that and it'll be, you know, some exposure for your show. So there was this idea that it was kind of very incestuous. Actually, you'd, you'd get listeners by introducing or leaving a comment <laughs> on somebody else's show. Yeah. Um, and so that was the big thing. And I think that's still a great way. People love to hear their own voice. That, on on a podcast they follow and that art has actually that is the most in my opinion right today it is probably the most underutilized promotion method um in, in existence and i don't know and maybe this is something we can you know we can tell podcasters send over a a, a 15 minute or 15 second like shout out or thank you or what, yeah. whatever it may be and you know don't expect anything back but if you do you may gain a few listeners from it. It's it's you know it's a it's a great way to cross promote, and I think it's I think that art has been lost. I think very few podcasters do that today. Yeah, if you're a B two B podcaster or any type of podcaster, I would say at the very least have somebody introduce you. And if they want to, you know, for us it was like we would have you know if Don and Drew introduced us, they would say, hey, this is Don. This is Drew from the Don and Drew Show.com or whatever it was, right? So they got some promotion for it. Yep. But to your audience, it sounds like, hey, there's somebody else listening besides me mm -hmm. <laughs> to this show. This show is popular. Um, it's an easy, free way to do it, free promotion. And speaking of which, if you're listening and you want to do that, geeknews at gmail.com. Send me that. We'll play it on the show. Happy to do that. We there might, as well, might as well uh, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, what do you see? I mean, what do you see as why there was a, you know, kind of switching gears. I'm going to go back there. I'm thinking, sure. I keep, I, I, I have this idea, trying to figure out my mind. There was this, it was Podcast Expo. We sold it to New Media Expo, which that's its own other story uh, in terms of what, you know, what went on there after the fact. But then there was like this long kind of gap and then boom, podcast movement shows up. There was this like seven year period where certainly podcasting was growing, but there wasn't much excitement about it. There was not a whole lot new. You know, it seems the yeah. excitement is all of a sudden, you know, in the past year and a half, two years, maybe I think it's popped up again. I'm wondering why. Well, you know, we stayed, um, we went to the trade shows, got a booth, 
uh, you know, I called it waving the flag because sometimes we were, we were talking to the same people year after year. The space was continuing to grow. Business was, and it wasn't like things were like stagnant. We were, you know, the space was continuing to, um, to evolve. More podcasters were coming on. But I think what happened on the, you know, if we just look at the, what Rick and his team did was, I, I don't know, when they, jo- they joined it together with the bloggers and it become kind of like this group event. And, I, and for a few years, I think Rick made the mistake and he, I, you know, if he would actually talk to us about what's happened or the history, and I don't know if he ever will, um, I think he made the podcast part kind of a, for the first couple of years at least, just an additional, it was kind of like a sideline thing. It really wasn't right. the main focus. Right. So, you know, after we begged him to rectify that, he did. Uh, but and maybe some of the damage had been done and we didn't have as much um, uh, excitement around having an annual event. So when the podcast movement folks, and I think they were, I think, you know, the team over there that formed that went to New Media Expo um, and. Yeah, I tried to do something, I think. And they said something's missing. And I think they figured out the missing formula. Yeah. And that's why, and, and they were in the right place at the right time. And they, and I think they realized that there was an opportunity. Um, so that in itself, and uh, kudos to those guys. Cause you know, they, they weren't trade show people. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. But I think they're catching a second wave. Right. They if definitely are. We got are. the first wave. They, they're catching the second wave. And I'm not sure. I, I think it, I think it has to do with content that, that, that the idea that content creation is the best way to get advertise your business. You know, certainly there's Facebook ads and you could do Google ads and that sort of thing. But there's this idea that telling people your story through content and podcasting is a huge part of that is the way to get your word out there. And so I think that's the second wave that seems to be pushing this, this time. And I, and I, I was talking with Rob about it earlier today on the other show was that, um, we're now for the first, I, I look at, um, I get a printout and it's just a spreadsheet every month that uh, list from one to um, the bottom of every customer that we have that uses our stats platform, which is greater than 35,000 shows at this point. Nice. Um, it gives me the ranking and I can see. And um, what really was a telltale sign to me, and especially we, we started to have to increase storage space for the log files because we were not having enough room in the, system over a month before we rotated stuff so i i said what's going on and angela said well volume's up and so i went and looked and we're starting to see more shows now bust the one million downloads uh per month than we've ever seen so there you know that number is increasing dramatically uh wow. the bigger the bigger shows are um and there's and this has not been the case for a while so we're seeing a surge uh, and it's very hard to determine, even with this big data set I have, it's very hard to determine true growth rates. I, I, I can kind of give a, you know, whistle in the wind type of thing where I think Rob Walsh and I have both said that, you know, average two, three, maybe percent a, a year. But based mm-hmm. on what I've seen in the last couple of months on the shift to mobile, um, and there's, you know, it's it's steady now. It's it's growing fast. It's, it's kind of like a, uh, you're going down the roller coaster. It's picking up speed. Um right. I think we're building a lot more listeners at this point. So that's helping everyone, you know, raise the, in, in cereal and all these other things. 
You know, right. po- podcast has become a part of the dialogue today. You hear it on television, you hear it on radio, you know, so um, there's not very many people that don't know what a podcast is, even though yeah. some surveys say they don't, but I think that's helping. I think the, we're just, you know, that ground wave and, and right. is build an audience. Talking about that word again, you know, 2005, that first year of the show, that was actually the podcast was the uh, Webster Dictionary Word of the Year, yep. right? That year. <laughs> so 2005 was a, a big year it for was. getting that push. It was. Um, there was, you know, and then, and it kind of, it was like a push for a couple of years and then it kind of go, went down. And I just, you know, I feel like it's happening again, which is great. It's great for everybody. And, and what we're also seeing too now is, uh, you know, a lot more advertisers are starting to explore and wanting to talk and getting the, the low down. So, you know, the, you know, that's, that's good for the space. Like you said, I, you know, my show, I'm on 1,100 and what is it? 36 or 35 Jeez. episodes. And yeah, it's, you know, you, you know, been at it. October will make 12 years. There is no way that uh, I probably would have made it this long or my wife would have put up with two nights a week doing the show if that we had not been getting a check. Yeah. You know, go uh, to- you got more persistence than I ever would have had, Todd. There's no, I, I mean, I, even with the Trader interviews, I think we did 220 shows and I thought that was a marathon. So God bless you doing that many shows. Well, you know, it. my show feeds my family. So, yeah. well, there you, go. you know, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's the J-O-B. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think monetizing it, you know, we're kind of going back and forth here, but sure. monetizing, I think, telling a story with your commercials too, I think Gimlet Media, again, does a terrific job, a fantastic job. Um, their show, Reply All, uh, that podcast I listen to, they tell a story in their commercials. Um, Startup, their other podcasts, they tell a story in their commercials, their, their spots, which is an awesome way to, I listen to their commercials. You know, that was a big thing too. How do we get people to listen to our 30 second commercials? <laughs> Tell a story with your commercials. Um, and those spots aren't 30 seconds when they're telling a story. No, they're longer and you don't realize they're yeah. longer. You're not waiting for the segment to restart again. It's not like TV commercials where you're DVRing past everything yeah. these days. I had a podcast recently tell me, I'm only going to do a, a ad spot that's 30 seconds. I'm like, sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's just, it, you know, that, that way is just not effective anymore. Right. You've got to keep people's attention. And, and, you know, that's probably a good point there that maybe uh, podcasters are trying to hone their trade and they need to start listening to some shows from Gimlet Media. And if nothing else, listen to the commercial or listen to those transitions so that they can, uh, you know, learn from the pros and, you know, incorporate, yeah. you know, I always, heck, I steal the best ideas from podcasts I listen to. That's, you know, that's, I think that's the number one compliment you can give someone said, Hey, I changed my show because of yours. Yeah, no. And, and Gimlet does it right. I love their shows. Um, radio lab is another one that I listen to. Um, and, and by the way, I was looking, uh, transom, that's the, uh, the storytelling workshop that, that oh, is I've done. Heard of that that. You can look up. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of that before. Um, it's much more for, kind of more for radio producers, but I know that podcasters have gone through it too. Um, but just, you know, it, I can't emphasize enough the idea of telling a story around whatever you have. Even, you know, if you sell photocopiers, there's a way for you to somehow <laughs> tell a story for your podcast. That's what's going to get you audience. That's what's going to get you listeners. Um, the interviews are great. Um, and it's harder to kind of do interviews, but you can tell, have people, you know, just like we've told stories here about the early days. Yep. It's the stories, figure out a way, no matter what your content is, to tell a story and you will have success, I promise. And I think the stories is where the, 
you know, it's, it's, I keep saying we need a thousand more cereals. And once we do, then man, we're just, we're going to change the world. You know, going back to the early days, I always said that we, a lot of people use the word revolution. We're, we're causing a revolution. Yeah. I, but I always said evolution. We're, we're evolving the media space. And do you, are you surprised from where we are, where we were to where we are that, do you think, do you think we should have been a little further down the road in, you know, impacting radio or do you think we're impacting traditional radio? I know my kids are always plugged in. They don't listen to right. anything AM, FM, they're, but they're probably listening to Pandora, but they're, but you know, they'll migrate into podcasts someday when they get a little older. But- oh, certainly. I, I think absolutely it's had an impact because it's all about time shifting now. No one, no one, very few people are watching shows that aren't on the DVR, mm-hmm. that aren't on Netflix, that mm-hmm. aren't on their own time. And podcasting was a very early push in that direction. Maybe one of the first pushes, yeah. pushes that podcasting was kind of the first kind of time-shifted thing that you listened on your own time. So in that sense, I think podcasting was huge in developing that and being the first to be a part of that. Um, and, and I think even if we didn't at the time sense that that was the revolution or the evolution, as you say, um, we sensed something was different about this and was going to you know, take root. Um, and that kind of everybody was in early on that. Um, and it's hard to do. You don't, you don't come across that. Maybe once or twice in a lifetime do you come across an industry that's brand new and you're there right at the very beginning. And obviously I was, you know, September, September 28th, 2005, that was a year after kind of you had started doing this. And so we were even a little late. You know, so you were early. Uh, the BloggerCon attendees were really early. Um, but, you know, it's taken a long time to get to where we are too. Yeah. Um, and and the, the only reason I was early as, you know, I busted my back while I was overseas. I got laid up and, you know, the Navy was trying to figure out what to do with me. And they stuck me in a, in Waco, Texas to babysit airplanes under contract. And I was just hanging out in the hotel, surfing the web. That's, yeah. you know, it was just a, you know, I mean, it was like, uh, it's just a matter of, uh, and like you, you were searching the internet for a way to deliver this stuff. So you right. kind of happened into it as well. So a lot of it was luck in the early days too. Yeah. Yeah. Just figuring out how to get the, get the audio on those MP3 players. Yeah. I was have it up automatically. And I was a, I was a blogger, not a great one. I'm still not a great blogger. That's why I pay other people right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but they love it. I still see like, there are still people that there. Uh, this one that would drive her crazy. You think we've come a long way, and then you find that people are still using uh, their RSS feed. What's the service that is you, you don't own your feed? It drives me crazy when someone says get updates, and it's not an email list. It's um, it's FeedBurner. <sighs> people are still using FeedBurner for their RSS feeds. I can't believe it. You know, so uh, uh, while well, we've come a long way, it seems like we're still at the beginning. At least it's you saying that, Tim, because I've been on the feed burner bandwagon, uh, burn wagon, <laughs> yeah, for as long and taking a lot of grief over the years because of it. But my God, yes, if you're on feed burner, please <laughs> graduate. <laughs> yeah, get get it. Own your feed. I know you've always said that. I always see you saying that, um, but it's true. Yeah. Well, I tell you, um, it's been wonderful. I I don't know if we're talked out on this, but I think that. Uh, you know, I, my goal here is really to to dig back deep. And Tim, and I, I think as we move forward, if there's stuff that comes to mind, uh, you know, maybe we can come back and revisit this at some point. But I, yeah. I, I definitely appreciate your, you know, talking about these early days of, of podcasting. And uh, sure, um, for me, you should try. 
You should try to get Adam Curry on. You really should. I don't know if you do it. I sent Adam two emails, and I used to have his, I was trying to find his number, and now he's easier to reach by text now than anything else. But have you listened to what Adam's doing these days with this No no Agenda show? I'm totally out of the loop on him. You have to, okay, for those of you listening right now, you got to listen to at least one of the Podfather shows. He has mastered the audience support model. He he does a three-hour show. What he's doing with John C. Dvorak over there with no agenda, and they they self-proclaim that I will actually um, admit that they have the best podcast in the universe. It's really uh, pretty incredible what they do. Now it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of politics. It's a lot of uh, conspiracy. And listen to one show, and, um, and and if you want to learn about how to do podcasts and how to work an audience and get people hooked to a show, that guy is the master. Well, see, there, you're my discovery engine, Todd. I'm gonna have to go out and listen now. Got a new one to listen for, so yeah, I'll go you, check it out too. Yeah, and then uh, you, you and don't uh, and you just have to formulate the formula. That's punching people in the mouth, and once you hear the show, you'll understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. um, hey, thanks so much for spending time with me on Saturday. And uh, if you're, you know, obviously this is a brand new show, and if you know a luminary or someone in the podcasting space that I should talk to, uh, it's gonna take me a couple of years to get through the early day period. But yeah. feel free to uh, email me here directly at my regular email at geeknews at gmail.com. But podcastlegends.com is the website. Uh, it is uh, it is coming to life. And uh, But uh, Tim, thanks so much. If they want to reach out to you, Tim, where, where would be the best place for them to do that? Yeah, so I have a company now called After Offers. It's a way to kind of uh, grow an email list and monetize an email list. So just tim at afteroffers.com. And uh, you can email me there. Happy to talk about the old days with anybody. All right, Tim, thank you so much for being on Podcast Legends. You got it, Todd.